0: Hi, it's, um, I guess, Tuesday morning, a little bit behind. I'm going to talk about the Parsha today, which is being sponsored by the Mishbarah Savansky, By Savansky Stefanski and Zechon Nishmas' father, whose yard said it was yesterday, I thought it was today, was yesterday, passed away three years ago. It's Yusuf I Ben Baruch. And, um, as always, we're very grateful to the family. We, all I know is that they, based on what he told me, they started in... Bohemia, which is very interesting, ends up in Switzerland, and America, it's a very Jewish story of the 20th century, a very Jewish story of the 20th century, and they're making an auction very soon in the Gnozim, we'll talk about that next week, um, but anyway, this should be Le- L'Alias Nishmaso. Now, um a very devoted to Yiddishkeit, always supporting Torah, and the needy vitzinah, never asked for anything, barech min I assume the real B'Rech uh, my father always used to say, there's, B'Rechman min a, a guy went and said, how come I'm always running away from cover They say, a you know, that if you're running from cover cover chases you. He says, I'm always, I never see, I'm running away, he never catches up with me. He you when you're running, you're always looking over your shoulder to see if it's there. <laughs> the real a cover means it, means it. Anyway, uh, because of these thoughts, so I'm, my mind was drawn to the economic part of the story of Parshat Vegas, You know, there's all kinds of stories. The re- obviously, the reunion of Joseph and the brothers, etc., etc. But I don't know why, for this reason, and for some reason, I'm looking at the end, which is the story of... For some reason, the Torah t- goes to the trouble to tell you this, of how Joseph administered Egypt during the famine and how he seems to reduce reduced the, the, the population of serfdom. Um, it's a very not totally clear story, um, which means it could be read in a lot of different ways. And the truth of the matter is you wonder why it's in there. Let me put it this way. If you completely omitted this story of Joseph and how he settled whatever in Egypt, and you simply say he settled his family there in Goshen, that's enough. You know what I'm saying? No, words, for the purpose of our story. Usually the way we understand Brathe's is it's telling about the others. So I have to know the adventures of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then I have to know the adventures of Joseph and the brothers. And I have to know how they ended up in Egypt. I get that. That sets up the story for uh, the, uh, you know, Shibad Mitzrayim and so on and so forth. I get it. Why the aside? You know, uh, why tell me the story about how Joseph administered Egypt? And all this funny economic stuff. Now, I'm not an economist. Uh, I know a little bit. But, and it's a funny I mean, I'll get right to it. The people come and say we ran out of money. That's very interesting. What do you, I mean, in a modern economy, what happens if you run out of money? Let's say you have customers and you're selling stuff and then you're very good. You're, you're very, I'll give you a, a, a funny example, a little example. You have an enterprising kid in some uh, junior high school and then middle school and he brings, he's the one, you know, you have this. He's the one who brings candy every day or soda, whatever it is to sell to the others. And he's very good at what he does. And guess what? The others run out of money. He no, he's he's so good, he sells everything up, and they're broke. Well, then he doesn't have a business anymore. You see what I'm saying? The, the economy, at least the way we understand it nowadays, the liquidity and everything has to run. The the the, the, the buyer has to have the money. Otherwise, I have a lot of goods, and I can't do anything with them. It's garnished. And in the case of Joseph in Egypt, it's a funny story. There was a famine that was predicted. And so uh, Pharaoh, like I said last week, granted Joseph dictatorial powers, which were necessary for the national emergency. And Joseph uses dictatorial powers to uh, seize, I guess, all the extra grain that was grown during the seven years. So in other words, this was stuff grown by the farmers, who at that time were not slaves, not serfs, um, the way it's described. And um, they had a big surplus. No, you don't. By order of the king, like we say today, the government is just uh, uh, confiscating it. Now, we're not confiscating it for the heck of it. We're confiscating it because of a national emergency coming. But that's what happened. I did, in Mistbar, and they took so much grain of the seven years that it was beyond the ability to count. Which is just interesting. Now, uh, I mean, you know, that much. And they put it in pharaoh storehouses. So let me get this straight. I'm a farmer. I grow so-and-so much. Comes along every year during the seven years, Joseph's guys from the government, and they confiscate uh, a belt of my produce. I mean, did they pay me for it? I don't know. I don't know. Let's say, let's say, let's be nice about it. Let's say they paid for it. So then the government bought up, purchased all the stocks. That's interesting. I mean, it doesn't say the words that he paid for it, but let's say he did. Okay. Uh, But that's just being very clever. During famine, I mean, during plenty times, I mean, this could be how smart Joseph was. It was a, it was seven years of plenty, so you know, supply and demand, and then the price was a bargain price. If I'm Pharaoh buying grain and there's so much to to go around, then the price is cheap. So he bought up all the grain and put it in the warehouses, storehouses, guarded by the army and so forth. And then, of course, <laughs> comes the seven the years of famine. It's not clear in the Chazal, you know, how long the famine lasted. Rashi says two years went to Yaakov shut up. I've seen other places three or four years. You know, it's 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 as far as they seen the Chazal, it's it's unclear to me. Especially the farmers say, "Give a seed to grow." You know, v'sen lo nuzer Sounds like the 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 famine is over because what's the point of putting zera in the ground if there if there's no water? You know, so. <laughs> The details are just not clear to me. But anyway, Pharaoh or Joseph bought up all the stuff at a bargain price. He stored it away. It's a classic capitalist move. Until there'll be a famine. So let's say, for example, for every bushel, he paid two cents. But now you're paying $20. In the time of famine, supply and demand, correct? Supply and demand. So in other words, he, he did, did a, a Jewish thing, you, they bought cheap and now they sell deer. Uh, but at least there was food. If it would be up to the farmers. They would have disposed naturally from a strictly individual capitalist perspective. If I was a farmer, I would sell all my excess grain, you know, to grain speculators. And they would have sold it overseas or something like that and on the international market. And all that grain would be gone. So because Joseph foresaw the famine, they stored all the stuff in Egypt. But then hit the famine. Vatela, it says, Vatilena, Vatikhlena, I mean the the Lashonis and the are, you know, the land was devastated, destroyed. Vatiklana, you know. And uh, the people here saw Adamalo Seisham and were dying and so on and so forth. I mean it was it was really tough. Uh, uh where does where's it go? Valechame mod, Vatela erz a very unusual word, right? And um, what it What does it say over here? That the land became weary because of the famine. Uncle So basically, you know, it, it was devastating. I myself think that the mashmos is also, by the way, that, uh, you know, people were weak. Uh, there couldn't be any rebellion if you don't like Pharaoh's policy, because in a time of a starvation, people are pushed weak. You get it? We forget that. This week. I imagine, maybe I'm being cynical, that when they gave out the food, they didn't give huge quantities. <laughs> it would keep everybody relatively docile. But I don't know. You know, that's what I'm trying to tell you. This whole parsha provokes all kind of very, very fascinating questions. And anyway, as I said before, he bought the grain when it was two cents a bushel, and now he's selling it for twenty dollars or more. Uh and therefore it's not surprising. That, that you know, it's too it's too successful. He bought up all the money. Okay, office kessaf. So what do you do in an economy when there's no money? No, the money's gone. Now, usually, what happens? I I think I'm right about this. You go for barter. You know what I'm saying? It's a very fascinating question. I mean, let's say let's say like this: the U.S. has always been screwed by China. So what if they, you know, totally dominate the imports, and we'll run out of money? I mean, we're thirty trillion in the hole. So what if the government just says we ain't got no more money? You know so then what does China do? You see what does China do? Now uh, I know what they'll do, but you know, you know what I'm saying from a business perspective. I know what the United States. Let me tell you something interesting. In the course of World War II, all the other countries their their economies were devastated. They were invaded, they're part of the war, etc. And they lost all their money. For example, take England. England was very rich. But wars is incredibly expensive. And uh they were almost broke. One, two, three. By 1940, 41, they were broke. No, the government had so and so much money, and they spent it all. And it's only nineteen forty one. That's why Roosevelt made the lend lease, which means I know you don't have money, but I want to keep you in the war for my own sake, as an ally, you know, and therefore we'll give it to you for free. So, in Roosevelt, the United States of America, did not do what Pharaoh's doing, you know, but he he said, I'm going to give it away for free, because if my goal is to, to keep you, you know, operating, I have no choice but to give it away for free. When the war was over, so what do you do now? So what America ended up doing... It's just in various sneaky way. I'm not sneaky. Various indirect ways. Nothing sneaky about it at all. They gave money to the people to start to start them up again. You heard of the Marshall Plan, where they gave 15 billion or something like that to England when there was a lot of money that time to England and France and those, these countries. The shot was, you're no good to me as a customer if you're broke. So I'm going to give you money to start you up again so that I that I can stay in business. You understand? So it's very very interesting. Because, you know, it's the opposite. It's enlightened capitalism and not pure capitalism. Joseph and Pharaoh are operating on pure capitalism, it seems to me. And so when the people say, there's no money, Pharaoh doesn't say like a, um, a 20th century liberal. All right, then I'll give it to you for free. Lend lease. You know, remember, you're going to owe me big time. I saw you through the famine. Because that is the attitude of a republic where the government exists. To serve the people. So the, the job of the government is to make sure the people have food in times of starvation. That's what's happening now. Right or wrong, they're still doing the give. At least in Baltimore, they're still doing the giveaways. What's the with the food giveaways? You know what I mean? Every week, you know, this place, this place, that place. They're giving out a ton of food. A ton of food. And wherever you live, whoever's listening, you know, in, in America anyway, during the corona and all, they were all giving away the food. What's the giving away the food? Giving away the answer is, it's, it's not like Pharaoh and Joseph, you know? The the the, the government, you know, you can criticize or not criticize I'm just saying this far is that the job of the government is to protect the people. And if the you know, if there's a war, you need military protection. If, if it's a, a Corona, because of Corona, there's no food, you need a food protection. Get it? That's what's happened, okay? Now, um, that's not what happened in the Parsha of Yosef. As you all know, Instead, what he said, well, I guess give me your horses, you know, give me your cattle. So basically, he wants every last penny from them, which is, you know, quite remarkable. Because let me put it this way, a farmer without the horses, mom is mommish screwed, he can't do anything. You know, without the cows, without the, what is it, susim, and, and, and whatever the other animals are. You know, they don't have any anything, no way of making them money. They can't operate, you cannot operate a farm just on your own physical, personal labor. Uh, you know, people are not that strong, usually. I mean, a farmer needs a chamor. You don't realize it because you're not farmers. I remember, uh, speaking of the Marshall Plan, when America helped the uh, Europeans who were broke and all that, I remember, what was the Marshall Plan in Greece? The answer is chamorim, or mules, exactly. They send the Greek farmers all these Missouri mules. I'm serious. And they're very good mules. And then a farmer's in business. He can use the animals, the pack animals, you know, to run the farm. So it seems like a dumb thing. You send them mules, but it was a, a very successful. So if you take them away, if Joseph is taking all this stuff away, I mean, let's put it this way they're momish, naked, exposed to starvation. You know, they can't do anything. Can't do anything. You could be cynical. You could say he's taking away, you know, their, their animals, and then they definitely can't revolt because he's just going to fuss. You know, you just just walking, you, you can't rise against the government. And so he set up a situation in which you have a centralized dictatorship, absolute monarchy. And finally, the people themselves who have gotten themselves in this situation, you know, say like this, just buy us, you know, let us not starve. Okay? So, um,. Joseph does, Pharaoh does not give them the money the way America gave them the money. Pharaoh was an ancient monarch, he wasn't, uh, and Joseph was working for him. And they didn't see it the way we see it today, which is the job of the government is to protect the people. The whole messiahs of the government is to protect the people. No. In the ancient times, job of the people is to serve the Melech. You see, it's a different way of looking at it. The job of the people is to serve the Melech. The Melech has certain responsibilities towards the people especially in terms of maintaining justice and things like that. But the job of the people is to serve the Malach. He can live on the high hog, and everybody else has lived the life of a farmer and a peasant. It's it's just interesting. Now, the face of this is, is Yosef. I never see in this whole story Pharaoh talking. Yes, they always go to Yosef, um, which is portentous of Jewish history. Uh, the Jew is often the face of the capitalist exploitation of the masses, by the king or somebody like that. That's why the Jews are always unpopular. You understand? Always unpopular. Yosef was very clever, it seems to me. And he did things in such a way, trying to make himself not unpopular, dahainu, when the people are utterly reduced to uh, nothing. He, he, he does buy everything for Pharaoh, but he imposes a moderate um, tax. Okay? Usually... If you know the history of taxation, I mean, 20% is not a lot. And he says, you guys get to keep 80%. So notice, the land belongs to Paro, and you're now working as tenant farmers on Pharaoh's lands, and that part's not so great. However, you keep 80% of your of your crops. Uh, let me ask you who are listening right now, are you taxed at, 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 at 20%? I, mean, I think that's pretty moderate. Uh, and that way, I mean, it's very clever. That way, the people aren't so resentful. Because, you know, power gave you the land, and the government saw you through the famine, and they are pro- providing, you know, uh, uh, basic services like national defense and things like that. Uh, okay, no, you know, 20% is is, is is okay. And I think that's why the people say, hechi sonu. Or they tell me, you know, you, you've given us a chis. Meaning, you had his where it counts. He could have squeezed this dry, and maybe other governments would have done that. And other governments would have said, "We get eighty percent; you get twenty percent." And I'm not, you know, look at the history. Like before the French Revolution, it was mamish like that. It's like you know, the government between the, the 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 taxes the poor farmers had to pay to the to the king, to the church, to the nobles, and all this other junk was um around eighty percent, which is why people are starving here. Yosef very cleverly doesn't do that what he 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 doesn't make the people pay taxes to the priests which is what used to happen in Catholic Europe. You understand? The people do not do you, it's very interesting what I just said. He 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 did it in this way. He said that the priests get to keep their own land, rock admas Okay? So the priests get to keep their own land. The idea of sparing the priests started simple. That way, you have a, an influential group that's on your side. You understand? Otherwise, the priest will say, This against the gods, damn Jew, so on and so forth. He bought them off. He bought them off. So, you is know, it was just, you know, very clever. And I don't mean that in a sneaky way, but, you know, just uh, in, in, intelligent. Uh, and then the people don't have to pay the, the taxes to the priesthood. Uh, and everybody ended up, you know, in in a livable situation. But. Uh, Pharaoh now owns all the land. And what happened to all the money? You know, did money circulate in Egypt afterwards? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. I mean, presumably when the famine is over, and people are now whoever is growing crops, if you get to keep 80% of what you make, a uh, what's the right word? A sober farmer well, put away some nest egg, you know, whatever profit he makes. 80% is, is is not bad. You get to keep 80%. And if you don't live like a pig, then, you know, you can put away, squirrel away some stuff and sell it. You start to get money. But sell it to who? Nobody has their money. The answer is either you sell it to the brokers, and they sell it overseas. Or Pharaoh maybe bought it. I I don't know. I know in American history, when you had the Articles of Confederation before, you know, right after the American Revolution, you had the problem that there was no money, because there's some kind of a rule, I forget what they call it, Gresham's Rule maybe or something, where, you know, the good money chased the bad, the bit if there's good money out there, the clever people get a hold of the good money and leave the bad money circulating in the public, and, uh, you know, like that, and that happened, like I said before, in the American Revolution, the only good money was it called the specie, the stuff that was mamish kesevizov, physically kesevizov, what happened was the rich bankers got a hold of all that. And the only thing that's floating out there was his paper money, which usually wasn't honored. And it did lead to riots and things like this. You know, the Chase Rebellion, this other business. It's one of the reasons Alexander Hamilton made the federal constitution and the American system to try to prevent that, you know, to make money be real money. Here Yossi, it was just a funny situation, you know, where where the money's all gone, it's all all the money is in Pharaoh's hands. Uh all the money's in Pharaoh's hands. And like I say before, it probably wasn't even hard because he bought it at two cents a bushel and probably sold it for 20 or 30 or or $100 a bushel. I mean, in a time of starvation, there's no limit to what you'll pay for this stuff, right? There's just no limit. Uh, you're glad to get the food, like Martha by Spice's during the siege of Jerusalem. You're glad, you're, you're glad to get something to eat. You see? My point is, the Chumash is taking the trouble to tell you all this. There's got to be some bigger reason than simply playing around with the economics. Because is, is I, mean, I don't need to know all this. At most, this should be in some medish rabba somewhere. You see? Uh, why do they have to tell us all this? It suggests... I don't know. It's you know, I mean, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I don't know, and I don't feel comfortable with it. But it sounds like this is a foreshadowing, almost like a meter-connected meter of some kind or another, you you enslave the Egyptians, later Egyptians will slave enslave you. Because that's the story. You know, uh Joseph m- reduces the Egyptians to the serfs of Pharaoh, but then that enables later on the Pharaoh to reduce the Egyptians to to, 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 to servitude. Um, um, the Egyptians reduce the Jews to servitude. Now the puzzle says there was a king of Shalod, Lo Yosef. I mean that is true, but it's now the Pashib shot is Therefore, he wasn't grateful for him all the things that Joseph had done to save Egypt from starvation and the famine. Um, I get that. But uh, it also goes the other way, which is, you know, Joseph's the one who made everybody um, a serf. On the other hand, on the other hand, he did a mild serfdom. It's it's interesting. It's a mild serfdom uh, because they only taxed him at 20%. Uh, now, how he did it is unclear to me. There's these enigmatic Psukim that he moved everybody around. Some of Farshim, I know you know this, some of Farshim say he moved them from city to city, so sort of like Sancheirev, you know, and uh, that way the people will be be uh, no longer in their ancestral homeland. Uh, if he did, so his brothers wouldn't feel bad about it. I mean, if that's what happened, that's a pretty brutal business to move a whole population away from where they live so his brothers would feel better. Um, it's also true by the way, that by the time this process is over, I mean I'm gonna say something cynical. Process is over, Pharaoh owns all the kark in Egypt, except the priest's land. Pharaoh owns all the kark in Egypt. That's what it says. Um, and then what happens? <laughs> the Jews buy up the land, or at least they buy up their share of the land. Because what's the end of the parsha? bears Now what does it mean? After all, the Muser shmooze, why did The Pashem Shah means they bought karka. (laughs) So what you find in Lakewood and Jackson and this place and that place, you know, some Chasset shows that they want to buy the land. uh, They did it, Vayosh They had an Ahuza. You know, Ahuza is is, is a piece of land. So uh, the Jews were supposed to be temporary sojourners in the land of Goshen. Um, you could even, in fact, if I wanted to read it, you know, you say, they they just were yeshiv there, but not in a permanent sense. Wrong. Then they got into the real estate market and then they want to leave. Let me put it this way. You show me a guy who's doing very good in real estate in, the, you know, the New York area, this area, that area. It's not so simple for him to pick up and make aliyah. Now, maybe nowadays with the, uh, you know, Zoom and, and uh, you know, with the, with the cell phones, and you can run your business from overseas, so maybe. But you know what I'm saying. If you're doing very well over here, chances are you're not going to make a move over there. Isn't that why you hear so many stories of the Jews who didn't leave Germany and didn't leave Europe in time? Because they were doing Weahsibol. You know, they owned a lot of land, they owned a lot of business over there, and it wasn't easy to walk away from it. It wasn't easy to walk away from it. And so, um, maybe the story is told to us to say, to explain the background of how it is these brothers of Joseph who were these itinerant shepherds but he had cash <laughs> remember, the brothers had money in other words, Jacob was a good businessman the brothers were good businessmen that's not all they were, but they were good businessmen and they came and had cash and they came into Egypt and they came into Egypt at a time when there was this big real estate market because Pharaoh bought all the land and um the the people had been moved to different settlements, and apparently or supposedly just left whole tracts of karka you know open and and the brothers bought it now they they concentrated in Goshen um uh, and the result was that so Goshen became you know uh, a Jewish area i uh, I'll say it's not to be funny, you know, like Lakewood or Muncie or something like that. And and then you see, you know that they don't want the, that. There's not the slightest move to go back, because one big part of the story that were never explained to us in the Chumash is when the famine is over and everything's good. So why don't they move back to Canaan? You know, we always assume because you read that Agar Pesach oh, Vaird Mitzrayimol is part of the Gullers and so on and so forth. For us. Why don't you simply say like this? Yaakov and the sons went down to Egypt because the emergency of the famine demanded it. I I understand that. And Avram did the same thing. But what did Avram do when the famine was over? He went back to Israel. So how can the brothers or their children never make any move to go back to Israel? Um it's it's strange. Uh, and you're left with the impression, at least I am, that, you know, Yosef was completely turning the economy upside down due to the result of the famine and the the, the press of the peasantry and all the rest of it that we were just described. And as a result, the brothers, when they came to Egypt, landed in a, in a Fetak coup, you know, they ended in a, in a good situation. And uh, next thing you know, they got hooked on it. They say, you know, we're doing better in Goshen than we're doing back in Israel. And so you have a very strange situation that the Jewish people, it's a very strange situation we went into a Gullus. It's not like the Gullus of Bavel or the Gullus of uh, Rome or any of stuff where we were kicked out of the country and they destroyed the base of Migdash and we we're thrown far away. It's a hostile empire and you can't come back and your religion is persecuted. Here, the Jews moved pretty close to Israel. Where's the land of Goshen? It's the area of the Suez Canal, roughly. A little bit to the west of that. You know, it's not far away, Okay. You can drive it today a couple hours across the top of the Sinai Desert. I'm not poo-pooing it, but I'm just saying it's not far away. And um uh, there's no moving them to go back to Israel. Why didn't the brothers or their children say, you know what? We have uh, <laughs> real estate uh, that we own in Egypt, and in, in Goshen. I'll have some agents operate my real estate and I'll go back and move to Hebron, to Yerushalayim, to, to wherever it is in the land of Canaan. Why was it that nobody ever makes a move to try to go back to the land of Canaan until the point that they get you know, enslaved and then they're suffering so much that they're willing to go back. Even then, it's not so posh as you know the stories with the Maraglim and everything else. But just at the level of, you know, push of shot, why doesn't anybody go want to go back to Canaan? To, to, to um, the famine is over and money they have. And the fact that they have a brother or an uncle these devices were in Egypt. It's simply a plus. It's good to have that. You know what I mean? It's good to have that. I could even go on about that because Egypt was the suzerain, like the uh, the, the the superpower that was sort of, um, what's the right word, exercising influence over the Canaanite rulers. So what I'm saying is like this. I'm just making this up. Let's say I'm Reuben, I'm Yehuda, I'm Yisachar as well. I'm going back to Canaan. Uh, and before uh, the Canaanites gave Avram a hard time to buy some land from Mars and Machpel. But guess what? My uncle is now the Viceroy of Egypt. And the Egyptians are going to say like this, don't give the Jews problems with buying up the land. And then the Jews could have done very well and bought up the land. So maybe what I'm saying is could have happened, but the Kala didn't do it. And unfortunately, don't, as far as I'm aware, don't seem to go in that direction. But it kind of leaves you with that impression. So this last economic business that we have in Pasha Vigas Is highly suggestive, and uh, it goes to show you sometimes, uh, you know, you can be. Let's put it this way: success in business can 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 own you, and then next thing you know, and they don't want to go back to Israel. It's just very very interesting. I think I've gone a little bit too long, so uh, take a look at this last part of the vaigash, and see what you come up with in light of the questions that I just raised. Once again, I want to thank the Stefanski family, and uh, this is uh, once again Zechar Nishmas. We saw her dove at and uh, I know the family's uh, maintaining the good name. And that's all. That's all a nifter can ask for. Have a good week.